Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And joining us is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. Did you catch that? I elevated you to an outdoor personality. I heard that. It, uh, that was great to hear. And I tell you, that was a pretty awesome interview you did before that. My, my focus was to talk about hunting, but when you talk about still water fly fishing, as you guys mentioned, I think it is literally one of the probably biggest lacking efforts that we see in the state and such an opportunity for all fish. And you guys are talking about smallmouth and those opportunities. But you think about the lake trout, the pike opportunities on Stillwater. It's it's literally a, a worldly destination that I don't think near enough people take advantage of. Well, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and they'll go to the ocean and fish, you know, and they'll fish for bonefish and whatever the, and the saltwater. But I think, did you hear what I said, why I think a lot of fly anglers don't still fish? I did. I did. Absolutely. Do you think that's true? I think they're just not comfortable. They just need to do it and gain confidence. A hundred percent. I think, you know, like you said, rivers, not that it's an easy task, but when you pull up on a stretch of river, it's easier to read what's below the surface by the surface conditions. As where you get on a lake, so many flyingers are just lost. They don't know where to start, how deep it is. You know, they don't know where to set. Even the trout still water anglers don't know where to set their rigs on on you know, some sort of nymphing rig or anything like that. So I, I think there is a, a lack of confidence that goes into it. But, I mean, just for myself example, I've been doing a lot of stillwater fly fishing. Honestly, I've been averaging two to three stillwater fly trips a week uh, for about the last month. And I have to say, Terry, that on these big, giant Colorado pike, we have a ton of food, and by no means would I say that these big fish are easy uh, to catch just because of our, our larger food source that we have here in Colorado. And when you present those large streamers to them, my overall catch rate is everywhere. You, know, I- you, cut, you cut out on me there for a minute, Nate. Are you there, Nate? Okay, we were losing you there for a minute. Let's switch gears and go to the hunting while we got while we got you in case we lose you again. Absolutely, you know, Terry. So where we're at right now, it's opening weekend for muzzleloader. Uh, the archery hunters are still in very much pursuit, uh, but we have a couple of big things happening. When we're talking about the muzzleloaders out there, we started off this morning, and the woods have been kind of quiet. Yesterday, leading into this muzzleloader season, things were a little quiet. And I keep getting a lot of questions, but it's very much like we anticipated last weekend on the show. The next big kind of estrus phase for the cows is coming up this Thursday. So I, I think that it's still worth getting out right now. But I think really Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are going to be the peaks of this next phase. So whether you're a muzzleloader hunter or you're out with archery equipment, if you're going to be looking for vocal elk, calling elk, I think the big focus of that is going to be this coming week in the middle of the week. So get out there, hunt, but I would not overcall to these animals. I would not over-pursue, uh, more so just with the anticipation 
that coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the new moon is in the middle of the week. Um, I think they're going to kind of line up the, the estrus phase of the cows, more breedable cows. The bulls will be much more vocal. I think everything is going to take off midweek. So if you're out there now and things are a little more quiet, don't get frustrated. Don't get disappointed. Really kind of have that anticipation of maybe hunting a water hole, maybe still hunt. And then really, I think you're going to hear the vocalization of these elk pick up middle of the week. And I think it's going to be pretty awesome. So just kind of more uh, a shout out to everybody. Hold in there. Hang tight. I do think you're going to see a major improvement in the elk hunt uh, coming up middle of the week this coming week. So really get ready for that. And then I will say today was the first day we started to see deer starting to shed their velvet. So a lot of our high country mule deer, uh, we saw our first bucks today starting to shed that velvet. I think that some of these will remain in velvet for about the upcoming week. But we always talk about this because it's a significant change. The second you see our mule deer go hard horn is the time that their patterns change. So if you've been hunting the high country, high elevation, and you've been watching these deer and they've been in a pattern, you're going to notice that as these deer shed their velvet, you're going to see them kind of change their patterns. They're going to start spending more time uh, being nocturnal activity. You're going to see a lot of them dropping out of the high country and into the trees. You're going to see slight migration. Uh, again, the rut doesn't happen for the deer until November. Uh, but long story short, the second the velvet comes off, we start to see these slight pattern changes on these deer, uh, and it changes quickly. So for the hunters out there, everybody says, yes, we get your concept of what you're telling us. What do we do? So number one, if you are on velvet deer, you have that pattern. I put a little more emphasis, get out there, hunt harder, hunt longer, um, you know, not to push the envelope a little harder, but you're going to try to get that animal harvested while that buck is in those, you know, normal patterns. Once they go harder and if they start disappearing, I really start putting more focus on watering sources, uh, start putting areas on game trails in and out of the darker timber where those animals are migrating to. Uh, but you're definitely going to see the change as more of these deer shed their velvet in the coming week or so. Now, is this cool weather that we're going to have moving in starting tomorrow over the next week, and it may seasonally stay fairly cooler, is that going to change the patterns? You know, I think it's going to, as we kind of come into this new moon, cold weather mixed with that new moon is only going to increase the elk activity. So I do think that our elk activity, we're going to see a, a pretty awesome boost because, again, we're going to get the peaks of the estrus phase, which only help things, um, and then all of a sudden you're going to really boost into the colder temperatures, getting the animals on their feet a little longer and keeping them on their feet. So I think for the elk woods, it's going to be absolutely on fire. For the deer, I don't see a lot of change. Our, our high country deer um, that are going to be the high country they're not going to really have a major effect. We're still having extremely cold nights in the high country, so I don't think the high country deer are going to really see a bigger increase in that activity. As they shed their velvet, uh, it might keep the hardhorn bucks on their feet a little longer, but I don't see a significant change on the deer side of things. But the colder weather is definitely lining up perfectly with the estrus phase of the cows, so I think that the elk hunting is going to be awesome. I will also say that I do think that colder activity is going to help the bear hunters out there. You know, last year we had some record numbers of bear harvest uh, during archery muzzleloader and during the 
the special rifle season that's going on right now uh, for the Bears. This year, things have been good, but I would not say that we're, we're setting records with the bear harvest so far. Um, but I think the colder weather will help with that. I think they're going to spend more time on berries, more time starting to move into the acorn patches. So hopefully the colder weather will get the bears a little more active, a little more on their feet uh, and helping with that. But I would say, you know, over a couple of weeks there, you've asked me about the significant moisture and how it's changed things. I would say that so far from our overall harvest reports, that the bear has probably been the biggest thing that all the moisture has significantly slowed down. The bears are not having to migrate very far to get to water, to get to food, to have extreme cover. And when you talk about a, a shorter profiled animal, you know, elk are standing so tall, they're above all the grass, above all the vegetation. Um, it's a situation where those bears can really get in and hide. So I think the extreme moisture so far has had the biggest effect uh, on the overall harvest rates and success of the bear hunters in the field right now. Nate, before we move on, I want to ask you about ice addiction. But before we do that, um, what should the the first rifle guys be doing right now? You know, Terry, I think the biggest thing, I, I think so many hunters are afraid to scout during the season. Now, I think this is a, a respect thing and uh, a concept of obtaining information. So what I tell people right now, if you have a first rifle tag starting there, you know, basically that, that you know, October 13th, 14th, whatever that Saturday is, um, if you have that rifle tag, that is going to be basically the last phase of the rut. So you're going to be getting into the last estrus phase of the cows. But that first rifle season, notoriously, we still consider a rut hunt. The bulls are still bugling. The big mature bulls are still with cows. There are still active harems. Everything is happening um, for the elk herds in a rut activity for that rifle season. So as we move in this week into a major rut phase uh, of the elk, I think it is important important for the rifle hunters to get out there watch where the elk are right now because where they are right now they are still going to be during that first rifle so why these animals are extremely vocal you can get out there right now listen for them find them build patterns um even though things might change a little bit over the next month um i think you're still very much on probably the most current information you can have now with that the biggest thing for me when i am out scouting right now since i am not participating in the archery or muzzleloader season and I just try to have respect. As I go out in the woods, I'm doing a lot more long-range glassing. So get to the top of a peak or sit in your truck with a spotting scope, but I'm not right on top of the animals. So that way the hunters that are actively pursuing those animals, I'm not you know, blowing them out with my wind. I'm not pushing the animals. I'm not putting pressure on them. I'm not interfering with any of the current hunts going on, but I'm still out there watching, observing. Uh, and I can tell you, I, I think that archery hunters and muzzleloaders are very talented hunters. So it's pretty pretty worthwhile in my opinion to go out and watch how they approach you know where are the archery hunters parking their vehicles where are their camps set up how are they approaching the herds you can get out there and literally watch a play-by-play and watch the success and or watch the failure and you can learn from both of those so when you get in the woods with a rifle in your hand uh you have that much better odds because again i always tell people if you can hunt with a rifle but act like a bow hunter a muzzleloader with those tactics it's the best of all worlds. So if you can learn to call like an archer 
archery and muzzleloader would if you can work and kind of have that approach like those early more primitive methods but yet you have the firepower of a rifle and the distance of a rifle uh come that season that is the peak of all worlds so definitely worth getting out there watching observing getting all the intel of, of everything access points approach uh where the animals are it's going to lead to that much more of a successful rifle hunt uh coming up in early october my friend, we have about a minute left. You announced the ice addiction schedule. Tell us about it. We are so excited, Terry. So, you know, every year we have slight change-ups, uh, slight moving, moving of the date. Uh, so this year we are on an absolute tremendous bite. Um, so we start off the season uh, in early January at Blue Mesa. We're excited about it with the high water levels. Uh, it's really going to offer opportunity to fishing some more channel edges that weren't available last year due to the low water. So we kick off the season at Blue Mesa. We'll be at Elk Creek Marina uh, with the higher water levels. We're excited about it. About it. Our biggest fish in ice edition history came at Blue Mesa when the water was up. Uh, it's very similar conditions this year, uh, so we're excited about that. So we go there first, then we're going to Utah to Steinecker. We've been going to Steinecker in February, uh, but that peak bite has definitely been in January. So we've changed things up to go to Steinecker Reservoir in January. I think we're going to be back to you know weighing in hundreds and hundreds of fish. That water level is extremely high, so I think we're also going to see some bass and bluegill at Steinecker. So we're excited about that. And then we're very excited. We have not brought ice addiction back to the front range in almost three to four years. Um, so we're bringing ice addiction back to Chatfield Reservoir. Uh, so really excited about that. Uh, and then we end the season at, at Grand Lake. We moved that event later to not conflict with any of the tournaments, uh, the tournament at Wolford or anything else going on. So we're excited. Again, we have the perfect schedule. And I will say this is ice addiction's 10-year anniversary. We have some awesome prizes. We had some awesome changes. So coming up over the next month or so, we will slowly roll out some of the prizes, uh, some of the change-ups, and just kind of the unique uh, features that we're bringing this year to iSection's 10-year anniversary. And uh, to kick it off, for sure, we have a, an awesome lineup this year. We are out of time, my friend. Uh, if any people want more information, it's Tight Lion Outdoors on, on just about every social media platform. That's it. And you can also always follow me on Instagram, just Nate Zelensky. We do a lot of our personal hunting stuff on that page. Uh, but, yeah, follow us on our socials. Uh, we're excited. We'll have a ton of information next week. Uh, again, this is that time of year where things are changing fast. So stay tuned next week. We'll have a lot more information for you. All right. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, Nate. Talk to you soon. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, the folks at Jack's Outdoor Gear are going to talk to us about fall and winter tent camping right here on Terry Wisham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phone. And uh, joining us from the Jack's in Lafayette is uh, Chris Castile. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out, and it's going to be warm. It's going to be probably T-shirt and shorts weather today. But fall and winter are going to move in probably starting tomorrow. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have gotten into camping and they've summer camped. And and all of a sudden they're going, wow, I'm just really enjoying being in the outdoors. I don't want to cut it off now just because summer is ending. I want to find ways to extend it. So a lot of them are going to start fall and winter camping. But it's going to be a different experience. So if I come into the Jack store and I come over and I find Chris and I say, Chris, I want to start 
fall and winter camping, what do I have to do to upgrade my equipment? What do you, where do you start? What do you ask me? How do we approach it? Well, I, you know, you definitely want to start with your uh, layering system, you know, um, Typically, uh, you know, you're going to be wearing a base layer when you hike even during the summertime probably, but you really want to kind of up that into a, a, a thicker base layer. That's usually where I'll start um, making sure you have the right layers because, uh, you know, as you're camping, you know, um, you're going to be outside pretty much the entire time. So you want to make sure that you have uh, the proper insulation layers, um, you know, a really good, nice, warm wool base layer. Um, a nice mid-layer, maybe a fleece uh, pants and jacket, and then, of course, your uh, down-layer uh, jacket and a, and a windbreak jacket um, layer on the end, kind of a hard shell layer on the end. So certainly you want to start with, with what you're wearing, uh, making sure that you have the right uh, uh, clothing. And then what next, my sleep system? Yeah, definitely. I mean, summertime sleep systems... Um, you know, uh, probably around a 30-degree bag will suffice. Um, in the wintertime, especially here in Colorado, even the fall time, you know, it can get pretty cold um, at night in the mountains. So I, I recommend probably a zero-degree bag at least. Um, you know, you, you definitely want to make sure you have uh, the, a warm enough bag. It's always easy to kind of open up your bag in the middle of the night if it's too hot. Um, it's hard to, you know, add more insulation to a 30-degree bag or something like that in the wintertime. Um, the next thing you want to look at is your sleeping mat itself. A lot of the summer mats that we sell here at Jacks are rated at about a 2, 2.0 or 2.5 R value, which is the insulation um, uh, grading scale. Um, but for winter, you want at least a 4.0 uh, R value pad. Um, a lot of folks like to uh, actually kind of double up their pads. They'll use a summertime uh, foam mat on the bottom and then kind of get maybe like a 4 um, our value inflatable mat to put on top and then you know using those in tandem will certainly add more warmth and uh, protection from the cold ground um what about yeah, you definitely sure you have those oh go ahead what, what about if, if i want in my sleep system i'm upgrading and i want to get up on a cot now you and i have talked about this before so i know what you're going to say but how do you feel about using a cot when you're cold water cold weather tent camping Oh, I mean, the cot is great. It gets you off the ground. It, it, you know, it's a lot more comfortable than sleeping on the on the ground. Um, but when you're using a cot, you got to remember that, um, you know, there's nothing underneath you. Uh, there's going to be airflow. Even in a tent, there's going to be cold airflow going underneath you. Um, so you're going to want to make sure that you still use a cot in tandem with a sleeping mat um, to provide insulation. Because, you know, even if you have a really nice zero-degree down sleeping bag, um, as you're sleeping on the cot, the backside of your sleeping bag is going to be compressed from your body weight. Um, and as you know, when down is compressed, you know, the, it provides no insulation because it's actually the warm air that goes in between the down that when it lofts up, that creates the warmth um, and maintains the warmth. So you want to make sure that even if you are using a cot to still bring a, a 4.0 or higher rated sleeping mat um, to lay on top of that cot. That will help you uh, prevent that cold air from um, from going underneath. The same with the hammock. A lot of people like to hammock camp all year long, even in the winter. Um, and, you know, I always recommend to, to either get an underquilt for your hammock or at least bring that really nice, warm sleeping mat to use in tandem with your hammock. Um, if, I have, when if, I was first, oh, if I have a cot, can I add a heater to my tent? Will that help me? Yeah, it certainly will. I mean, we, you know, we sell a variety of little propane buddy heaters. Um, and, and, you know, especially in a small space, uh, you know, it'll, it'll get pretty warm pretty quickly. 
Um, I know a lot of hunters like to use kind of the old old style canvas style tents um, with stove jacks and everything like that in them, and uh, you know that that would certainly be a, a great option too. A nice warm oasis from the from the cold weather outside. Um, I've even done in the past while backpacking in the fall and winter, um, I, I would bring some small tea candles, some tea lights, and light those in my one man tent, and uh, you'd be surprised how much heat those little guys will put off. Um, a lot of times, too, I'll take hand warmers and throw those down in my sleeping bag, too, um, if it gets real hot. And an uh, old-school backcountry hack is to boil some water before bed and fill up your Nalgene water bottles with, uh, with boiling water and throw those in the bottom of your sleeping bag, and they, they really do a good job keeping you warm for a little while. When you mentioned tents, what do I have to do about a tent? I mean, summer camping, are the tents seasonal, too, or can I use my summer tent? Uh, the tents are certainly seasonal. Um, you know, uh, pretty much a summertime tent is going to be probably, you know, anywhere between a two and three season tent. Um, what justifies that is, uh, you know, typically there's uh, most tents are going to be a two-walled tent. So you have an inner tent um, and then an outer tent or your rain fly. Um, in the summer, the tents, uh, you know, the inner tents mostly mesh except for the bottom usually has a bathtub-style floor. Uh, made of not you know good waterproof nylon, and then it's pretty much mesh the entire way up to allow for a lot of um, airflow and uh, prevent bugs from coming in during the summertime. Um, the rain flies on summertime tents sometimes they don't come all the way to the ground. A lot of times they're just kind of covering up the the top part of the the tent, the inner tent. Um, wintertime tents, in contrast, the inner tent is going to be mostly nylon. Um, typically, there's just a little bit of mesh towards the top to allow ventilation. And the rain flies themselves are going to come all the way to the ground and sometimes even extend the ground um, with what's called the snow skirt. And that actually goes past further the, uh, from the bottom of the, of the tent so that you can uh, cover that actually up with snow when there's snow around. And then that creates kind of like a vapor layer, um, keeping the warm air in your tent and the, and the cold air out um, or preventing new snow from coming up underneath um, and uh, keeping you warm in that regard. All the tents are going to have vents, though, towards the top um, because condensation can still happen even in the wintertime. Um, so you want to make sure that, you, that you know, your, your tent does have some kind of ventilation system. Um, but We're yeah, running out of time. We're running out of time here, um, Chris, but I'll, do all the Jack's Outdoor stores have a, a great supply of tents and bags and things? Has it been, have you been able to keep everything in stock? Yeah, for the most part, yeah, we, we certainly have a, a wide variety of zero-degree bags and colder. Um, we also have sleeping bag supplements like uh, sleeping bag liners that a lot of people, you know, if they don't want to invest in a giant winter bag and they have kind of a summer bag, you can kind of help get that down lower using like one of the reactor sleeping bag liners, which we sell. And we sell a, lot, a variety of uh, three- and four-season tents. So come on in, folks, and we, you know, ask for your friendly camping associate, and they'll be happy to show you um, the, the winter options that we have available. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Great information. No problem, Terry. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as always, and I wish you the best of uh, the rest of your day. All right, thank you. Chris Castillo from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Lafayette. We're going to take a time out, and we come back. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to do compare and contrast fishing in Minnesota's North Country to fishing in natural lakes to reservoirs right here in the West. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phone. 
And joining us from the Minnesota North Country is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. This is a little bit of a role reversal, huh? Yeah, yeah, it, it sure is. Uh, usually I'm the one up there. But you know what? You and I have had this. I know we're going to talk about compare and contrast the fishing there to the fishing here. But as an avid angler, anybody who doesn't experience the fishing in the Minnesota North Country is missing out, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, I, I was late in life to learning about this area of the world as far as fishing. And, uh, and, it's, and I'm a hardcore bass guy, as you know, and I have just absolutely fall in love with the bass fishing up here particularly but you know we spent all day two days ago doing nothing but pounding crappie which is what we're doing right this particular minute i got camera guy tim farnsworth and dan swanson in the boat here and tim's landing one as we speak and uh well, and so we well, did we, some crappie fishing some walleye fishing and some bass fishing so far in three days well we tried to keep you out of minnesota because i've been trying to keep that bass fishing for myself you know <laughs> Good luck with that. You know, the funny I'll part is you. I'm in trouble with the guys we're staying with because we let a bunch of keeper walleyes go yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's something. The walleyes are obviously the focus fish up there. But I go up there and at least half my time, if not more, is spent just bass fishing because I think it's some of the best largemouth bass fishing in the world. 100%. I agree with you 100%. I'm originally from South Florida, right? But the, the numbers of fish from, say, two to five pounds up here is ridiculous. I don't think you're ever going to catch a 10-pounder, but the numbers of, of threes and fours is crazy. And they're they're willing eaters because they have a short season, you know, so they bite a lot. And they're absolutely gorgeous, too. I mean, with all the vegetation that they're in, uh, Absolutely, you know, just a beautiful place. And currently I've got two big swans that just landed right here. We've got loons around us, and the guys have caught four fish since we've been on this radio. <laughs> All right, let's 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 talk about You wanted to talk about the differences, kind of do some compare and contrast. Yeah, so it's like this, Terry. I get a lot of emails from people about fish management in Colorado, and, and, and the big misconception, well, in Minnesota or Wisconsin, they're all, you know, they have this, this – feeling that they should be the same but there's some giant fundamental differences even though it's the same species of fish it's the same walleye let's say uh or the same pike but they're in a completely different situation and that's because out here these lakes are all natural these are all glacier lakes and they're natural lakes so they don't vary a tremendous amount in elevation uh you know surface elevation they don't vary a tremendous amount year to year so if your grandpa had a rock pile that was good 20 you know 30 40 years ago it's probably still good now because they're a natural fishery there's a balance that occurs between the pike and the walleyes and the crappies and all the other fish that live here and so nobody really overpopulates and nobody stunts and all of that but in colorado you're dealing with reservoirs which is a man-made thing obviously in the first place Second of all, they're non-native fish, literally nothing in Pueblo, Chatfield, Horsetooth, Cherry Creek. The only native fish in any of those is the white sucker. And so uh, it's the kind of thing where they have to manage the entire fishery for the fishery, the, the water itself, and then the fishery, including the bait sources and up. And so much more complicated to manage a western reservoir than all these lakes, say, you know, back east that are glacier lakes with native fish in them. That's the biggest thing. Another big thing, obviously, the water elevation in, in, in our area moves up and down a ton, so you don't see as much vegetation in most of the lakes. So a few of the lakes, obviously, like Boyd Lake, 
But a lot of our reservoirs have no natural vegetation in them. And the whole time, the whole shooting match, which I don't have to tell you, here in Minnesota is is the vegetation, right? And then that makes for a very lush and rich ecosystem and uh, fish grow fast. Well, and I think another thing that happens is in Minnesota, people fish a lot of memories because, like you said, they have those spots. They understand these lakes. And they don't vary in elevation. And the prey doesn't change very much. They come out here to a reservoir, and if you try to fish memories, that hump you remember might be 10 feet out of the water. Absolutely, and that's a huge one around here. I mean, these are literally handed down spots from generations, and I don't have spots that last three days in a row at times when the water's moving, much less, you know, a long time. And so it's a, a, a huge difference. And the other thing that anglers have to keep in mind is water is the priority. The guy that's in charge of moving water has nothing to do with managing the fish, and typically that guy has nothing to do with the management of the facility itself. So it's far more complicated from that standpoint as well. Here, if it rains, there's more water. If it doesn't rain, there's less water. There's nobody flipping a switch or anything like that. And uh, you don't have drawdowns and all the other things. So it's it's a really, I think it's a big thing just to keep in mind for people from this area of the woods or people that have spent a lot of time in, like I said, Wisconsin, Minnesota, or all these lakes back here. Colorado is a completely different beast and much harder to manage from the standpoint of, of the, the native things and the natural lakes. And it's, as I'm aware, there's not a single natural lake in Colorado under 7,000 feet in elevation. Yeah, I don't think there is either. Hey, Last question, because we're going to run out of time. But if you are somebody who just moved out west from the Midwest, from Minnesota, um, what's the biggest tip you could give them in fishing reservoirs? Oh, man, I would throw the book out the window. I would literally throw 90% of my book out the window uh, when it comes to presentations because you're going to have so much more suspended fish. So unless you're coming from maybe Great Lakes, I would throw most of my book out the window because you have a high percentage of time that the fish will be suspended in reservoirs because the water level is moving and also pelagic bait fish. So uh, I would go with a completely open mind for one, and I would also fish more aggressively for two. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Power fishing really comes more into play, although you can use it up there. Um, you just, I think... Uh, the last comment I'm going to make, then I'll get a comment from you, is that I think a lot of people that go from the west to the north country are very successful because they've had to be more adaptive anglers. And a lot of people coming from the, up, the north country to the west struggle for quite a period of time. I agree 100%. The fishing is far more for dynamic, let's just say, in the West than it is around here. That's a big thing. And here, if walleyes just do what they're supposed to do, what you intuitively think they do. And real quick, and I know we're out of time, but uh, to address your thing about power techniques will work out here, the guys we're staying with and Dan Swanson are used to bottom bouncing and Lindy rig, and they told us catch all our fish in 25 feet of water, no problem, no problem. I looked at the lake and said, no chance. We got on the first reef with a jerk bait, smashed them yesterday fishing high-speed jerk baits over the top of stuff. So you're right. You can uh, you can use Western techniques out here as well. You certainly can. And, uh, and I'm just going to close again, and we'll, and we'll let you say goodbye. But um, if you've never experienced, especially the bass fishing, I mean, you and I both agree on that. But if you've never experienced the fishing in the North Country, especially Minnesota, do yourself a favor and give it a try. Absolutely, 100% you should. And then I think the boys have racked up seven fish since we started this radio interview. So, yeah, you need to come give it a whirl. Yeah, well, they told me to keep you on the radio so that they could get ahead of you. 
<laughs> they got me. <laughs> All right, Chad. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your trip. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. You bet. Chad Lachance, always a great contributor. He's been contributing to the show. Gosh, it must be a couple decades now. He's been part of our uh, our lineup. Um, but he's absolutely right. I, you know, As you know, I used to say I grew up, Karen says, I just got older in the North Country. But I go back there every year a couple times. And usually Karen and I go for an extended trip. And, um, and I understand the bass up there. It's probably my forte. That's how I cut my teeth. But um, it's, it's incredible. Like Chad said, you won't catch a 10-pounder, but you'll catch more 2- to 5-pounders than anywhere else you could fish. Hey, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the folks from the Colorado Wildlife Federation. And they've got an event coming up on their um, their event for women, outdoor women. It's becoming an outdoor woman. They have a fishing event coming up next weekend. They're going to tell us about that right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. From outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones and uh, joining us, an old-time part of this show. He used to be with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Now he's with the Wildlife Federation. Robin Knox. Good morning, Robin. Uh, good morning, Terry. What a beautiful yeah. Colorado September day, isn't it? Did you ever think 26 years ago when you and I started this show? that it would still be on the air? Uh, well, no. Yes and no. I know you're <laughs> such a great radio host and uh, sort of a, an institution in the Denver area, so I am not well, surprised you're still on the air. A lot of people think I belong in an institution. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robin, you're with uh, the Colorado Wildlife Federation right now, and they have a lot of functions they do a lot of things we won't get into all that but one of the things you guys did was when the parks and wildlife dropped the becoming an outdoor woman program you guys picked it up and have continued it um you have an event coming up next weekend tell us first of all a little about becoming an outdoor woman and then what the event is next weekend okay uh, the becoming an outdoors woman program is uh, sort of a nationwide program that was started to, you know, increase the participation of uh, women in fishing and hunting uh, and outdoor recreation in general. And in Colorado now, we've been doing uh, programs for women since uh, 2017. So, and we actually had to go on a little bit of a hiatus during COVID like everybody else, but now we're back in business and offering uh, different opportunities uh, to females for uh, learning a little bit more about outdoor recreation. And now you have a fly fishing event. I believe it's all fly fishing. Is that right? Or is it a mix? Fly fishing event coming up next weekend? Yes, it's at uh, Lakely. How it is uh, actually, it will be a mix because we may have some uh, women who have not done much fishing, but also we have a set of women who. Uh, went to a Parks and Wildlife uh, Becoming an Outdoors Woman joint program several week, weekends ago, and uh, they did not get to fly fish on open water. So uh, we're having some of those uh, women uh, are going to join us uh, next Sunday 
And uh, we're sort of short of uh, some fly fishing instructors to uh, help with the fishing event. Okay, so if somebody's out there and they want to help with this program, um, I will post it on my Facebook page. I've got your your phone number and the website, but go ahead and give them out. Okay, uh, the website is uh, Uh You can go onto that website and uh, look, uh, learn about the uh, event. And uh, also, uh, they can all, if you, we do have any interested individuals out there who would like to help. They can always get a hold of me via email, which is live to fish at comcast.net. That's live the numeral two fish at comcast.net. Okay. Um, now, you said the event this coming up, the, the event coming up is on the. 17th, September 17th from 9 to new, noon, and it's a mixed event of both conventional and fly fishing. Are there still openings if any women are interested in taking uh, partaking in the event? Yes. Uh, the last time I uh, heard a number was that we had uh, uh, four or five openings still available. And uh, like I say, folks can uh, learn about that on, on our website. And is, are there other events coming up that people should maybe look at the website and mark their calendars? Well, uh, I think uh, I'm not sure what all is on the uh, website right now, but uh, throughout the course of the year, we, we've we been doing uh, one-day events. Uh, we've done an archery event. Uh, I think we have a, uh, a clay shooting event coming up, and uh, potentially uh, we're having a rock climbing event. And And these are aimed at women and getting them comfortable in the outdoors. Um, do, you, do you get a lot of women um, helpers that are uh, teachers and guides that come out and help with the program? Uh, yes, you do. We have some. Uh, uh, one of our board members, Vicki Vargas Madrid, uh, has retired from Parks and Wildlife, and uh, she's been there at the event. And I know when they go out to Colorado Clay's shooting range, uh, sometimes they have a uh, you know, female instructor, but uh, we're always uh, keeping our eyes open for individuals that would uh, like to participate uh, in these women events. Well, and I think a lot of times, I think there's a lot of women, you know, my wife is an avid outdoor person. She's an accomplished angler. Unfortunately, she outshoots me half the time or more than half the time too. So, but um, a lot of women are intimidated because it hasn't been part of their life, but they have a desire, and maybe they're, it's for themselves, or maybe they're a single parent who wants to get their kids out in the outdoors. Yes, you know, there's uh, quite a range of, uh, you know, females who love the outdoors, and they, uh, you know, there's several organizations. Uh, there's one with the National Wildlife Federation uh, called Artemis, and there's a group called the Colorado Women Fly Fishers. And so there are uh, organizations where the women can really feel comfortable, uh, you know, in those situations uh, to learn more about uh, fishing, hunting, hiking, etc. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to let you go. We're out of time, but I will post this on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, sometime today. And I'll put your email and I'll put the website on there. And you need both 
you, you're gets anybody who's interested in joining the event, you can be a conventional or a fly angler, but you're a little short on fly angler instructors right now. Yes, people who can help out. The fly fishing, learning to fly fish is, uh, it can be a little bit difficult at the time, but uh, we do it at Lake Lehigh, which is a uh, angler education lake that's set up by Colorado Parks and Wildlife to partners like us to use. And I appreciate your, the opportunity, Terry, to talk to you again. It's uh, been great over the years. Thanks, Robin. I'm going to let you go so we can close out the show, but I will get this up there, folks. If you know a woman in the outdoors who would like to be an instructor or start taking part in these events, uh, make sure you follow up on that. Robin, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, you bet. The Robin Knox. Robin Knox and I actually, he was my co-host for a while in 1998 when we kicked this show off. We're in our 26th year. And I want to just, you know, since we're bringing that up, I want to say thanks to you folks out there because if you didn't, weren't avid listeners, if you didn't support our partners, our people that advertise on this show, we wouldn't bring you this information. And it's been one heck of a run, and uh, hopefully we're not done yet. We're going to wrap things up. We talked a lot about pond fishing. The pond fishing is going to get really good as we progress into the fall. Um, this is a time to get out there, whether you're a fly angler or a conventional angler. They'll start stocking trout on the front range. And it's follow the stocking report. Karen puts the fishing report on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. In fact, she posted one yesterday. And in that, there is a link to the stocking report. And they want you to go out where they've stocked those trout and catch them. Also, we talked today about a lot of the warm water species that they put up and down the front range. You know, get out and take advantage of these ponds. I'm going to be doing over the next few days some pond fishing for panfish and bass. I like to go do it. I like to scout it so I can take my grandkids to do it. So there's a lot of that coming up. The hunting and fishing in the lakes uh, up on the high country, the fishing is going to start changing pretty drastically. Still a lot of great fishing up there. The hunting is going to start changing. We're going to keep you abreast of all that. So join us. Every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here. Sometimes we get bumped a little bit to another channel or another time. So if you follow Terry Wisham Outdoors on Facebook, you'll keep up. We'll tell you if we're going to change time or station for a particular week. But we'll also give you podcasts of what we've covered the week prior and in and field reports when we get out there. Also, I want to give a gratuitous plug for Wickstrom and Dobrith, our music group. We just released our new single, uh, it's called Clock on the Wall. Go to your favorite streaming service and search Wickstrom and Dobrith and or go to your social media and search us and give us a listen. We'd really appreciate it. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 1043 the fan. Yeah,